0: Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise.
1: Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Torsten Walk and I'll be your host today. I'm a managing research director with Enterprise Management Associates. We are an analyst firm looking at enterprise IT solutions uh, from the data center to the public cloud to the edge. And with me here is Grant Miller. He's the CEO and co-founder at Replicated. So today, in today's episode, we'll look a little bit at how Kubernetes and other cloud native technologies are modernizing software delivery, uh, how to help alleviate the packaging, the deployment, the day two management, and everything that belongs to it. So let's jump right in. Hi, Grant. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And you came up with this new term of multi-premise, right? That's yeah. your, new, uh, your new term. And uh, why did you come up with that? What do you mean by multi-premise instead of multi-cloud or on-premise or hybrid cloud?
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, we did it because we, we sort of wanted to be able to define a term that really describes a pattern that we've been seeing in the market for quite some time. And and basically what we mean by multi-prem is you're right, it's inspired by on-prem, it's inspired by multi-cloud, but it's the idea of multi-prem software. And so what that means is that instead of applications being you know hosted exclusively by a SaaS provider or delivered as like a you know a binary installer to to install in an on-prem data center, what we're seeing is that enterprises are actually consuming sort of private instances of cloud native applications, right? Commercial Kubernetes-based applications, and they're deploying them into any sort of resources that they can control. And so the multi part of this is it could be an air gap data center in the back of a Humvee or, you know, in some secure location. Or it could be, you know, a true server closet or data center. And these are the sort of traditional ways. But then also the most common way that multi-prem software is deployed is just in an enterprise-controlled infrastructure as a service account. So imagine like, it's the enterprise's AWS account. They set up a VPC, and then they install a Kubernetes application, maybe into an EKS cluster or onto a VM, inside of their own AWS account.
1: Aren't there already tools out there that uh, where you can make that happen, like Kubernetes comes with Helm, and uh, then there is uh, HashiCorp's Terraform and Ansible, and all of those things where you can already deploy the same application to multiple different clouds or on premises locations consistently.
0: Yeah, so so the market uh, that's existed to date, um, primarily, you know, the Terraform and Ansible side of this. Has been one focused a bit more on the infrastructure, and then two, much more focused on what I call first-party application development delivery. Right. So you think about, you know, most companies that write code, commit it, build it, deploy it to servers they can control. That's first-party application delivery, and that's what pretty much the entire enterprise software ecosystem is focused on. Where replicated is really different, and this differentiates us from every one of our customers and every one of the you know, everyone else in the marketplace, is we're exclusively focused on third party, you know, commercial third party application distribution and management. And so, what that means is that these tools that exist that are allowing you to control, you know, your servers inside of your AWS account or your uh, servers inside of your own vSphere account, well, they just don't really provide the same sort of functionality that you need if you're delivering an application into 150 different enterprise environments. So, so interestingly, HashiCorp is a customer of replicated and they use replicated to actually distribute every instance of Terraform Enterprise, which gets distributed into all of these different environments. It could be, you know, a VMware, vSphere, on-prem data center. It could be an AWS uh, VPC, it could be kind of anywhere, and you know Mitchell has this great great quote from a few years back. He's like, he's like, we built Packer, we built Terraform, uh, we even built Nomad. You know, so you think we could kind of plug those things together and create some way to like install and manage our products um, in in customer environments? But it turns out it's just a different problem, right? And you know, third party application delivery management is very different from first party.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why that term multi-prem makes a lot of sense, right? It's the difference and the difficulty. And we experienced that when we looked at OpenStack at the time, you know, five, six years ago when OpenStack was basically as hot as Kubernetes is today. Uh, and we thought we can do exactly that. We can package applications and, uh, you know, deliver them on a memory stick with Open. with OpenStack, and it it didn't quite work that way because it was very complex to do. Every customer's environment looks a little bit different. The integration, the security and identity management, uh, the the, the runtimes down to the the servers and the networking uh, uh, stuff that is in place is different. How can you uh, as replicated, how do you as replicated manage to cope with so much diversity, and uh, uh, you know, how do how do you find that sweet spot between being too opinionated and too too brittle because you are chasing after too much uh, too many integration points?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, I and mean, the the OpenStack comparison uh, is al- is always definitely interesting. You know, I think the the key piece that's different about Kubernetes versus OpenStack is it's honestly like the the, the Focus on conformance has been so critical for Kubernetes. So, like the, you know, all of the conformance testing that you have to provide in order to truly be, you know, a Kubernetes distro um, allows for an extra layer of consistency across these environments. And ultimately, replicated, like we're not, we, you know, we're relying on the entire Kubernetes ecosystem to solve a lot of these problems around uh, reliability and consistency. And so, you know, our tooling, you know, integrates with things like Valero for backups and Postgres, or sorry, and Prometheus for monitoring, and different so- solutions for ingress or you know, storage OS or any of these different solutions that we're using for for state for uh, for storage. We just have a whole slew of integrations with community created solutions, and I think that's the real beautiful part about Kubernetes is it's so extensible and it's so easy to add in add-ons that sort of complement how the cluster actually operates. And, you know, I think in terms of adoption, in terms of momentum, and this is kind of happens in technology life cycles where like, you know, if one, if the next version is like an order of magnitude better than the prior version. And I just don't think that OpenStack was mature enough. It, I think we needed to learn. I think we needed OpenStack in order for Kubernetes to be so successful.
1: Yeah, OpenStack never got beyond that initial stage. And uh, the the hype reminded me a little bit of the AI ice age, right? I mean, it was so overhyped at the time. And now with Kubernetes, it's almost we have that benefit of being a little bit more careful and reasonable with our expectations. And the interesting thing about Kubernetes is I can relatively easily define an application. I, I I use Helm and... Uh, write my manifesto and uh, I define that application for deployment, but uh, uh, and it will it will probably run right. But what it won't do is uh, run in an SLA compliant manner, adhere to uh, regulations, you know GDPR performance. It won't give me maybe the logs and the the metrics that I need. It will just not be enterprise ready, but it will run. And what you are doing is you're wrapping that. Enterprise readiness layer around it, so that uh, co- companies can uh, can use it in production. Am I am I getting this correct?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, our customers see us uh, as, as really solving two parts of this problem for them, right? So, I um, mean, there's really two halves to the replicated product. So, in one half, there's tools that we actually host and vendors use to to kind of manage the release. Uh, releasing of this these applications and different versions to different customers so we use release channels we have licensing and entitlements on that platform um, and then there's the other half of replicated which is fully open source and this is our projects like cots curl and uh, and troubleshoot and these are sort of purpose-built open source projects that really focus on sort of solving the both day zero day one and day two operational challenges. That a corporate IT admin would experience in consuming and managing commercial third-party Kubernetes applications, and so that's really you know, and and so we open sourced all that just to make sure that it was transparent and everyone could see the source code and know it's secure and you could audit it and it can sort of be available and that gets packaged alongside of you know one of our customers' applications and delivered into the customer environment. So you know, there's these two halves, right? Sort of this like vendor portal and this admin console. And that admin console becomes like an integration hub where you're integrating it with your internal version control system to do automated GitOps into your internal registry, into your backup solution, your monitoring solution, you know, your identity solution. And to your point, sort of tying in all of these like kind of, you know, table stakes enterprise ready features that you need to have as a software vendor if you're going to deliver a truly reliable and secure version of your product. And that's that's the goal for Replicated, right? We really think that what we're doing is, is offering a faster path to vendors around kind of non-differentiating features, right? Like no customer really cares like, you know, how you back up or how you audit log or how you, uh, you know, you know, sort of do your updates but it matters that you do those things, right? They don't care how. So it's not differentiating, but it's a core feature. And so that's why we've, you know, trying to provide these libraries and tools and SDKs that allow you to get there faster in a more consistent way that you know is going to integrate with all of your
1: end customers' different technologies that they use to manage those things. Yeah. And as an administrator, you get some. Really interesting capabilities to keep things clean and neat and under control. And I've seen how you are preventing forking. Right where there's a there's a whole open source project around that where you are in uh, a control not in control where you are contributing to uh, to really make the manifests multi uh, multi prem instead of having to you know fork it for different types of infrastructure. And uh, I've seen you have one for logging where where you are doing, uh, where you're making sure we get contextual logs as the uh, software vendor that is, in that case, your customer and pushing out uh, their, their software. So uh, th- th- there is some level of opinionated, opinionatedness, if you will, <laughs> uh, that, that you're doing to, to get best practices pushed out. And uh, on the other hand, uh, you are giving people the choice to To use the environment, for example, the the, the container networking uh, solution, the storage. I've seen you support Minio also, and you support Rook, and uh, I don't know what else you are supporting, but uh, you have that uh, balance between uh, opinionated guidance and the uh, flexibility. Yeah, it's 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 very important because you know our our customers, right? These
0: software vendors, folks like you know Puppet, UiPath, Data Stacks, you know Sneak. And many others are they they are incredibly good development teams with great operations folks, and so they are often opinionated and you know they sort of know what works best with their applications and so we have to make sure that our our products are always very flexible and then when they're delivering their applications right they're going to deliver this thing into hundreds of different enterprise customers, from the Fortune Ten all the way to you know uh, government agencies and and different types of companies that really focus on running secure applications and, and reducing their data surface area and so they have customers that have a whole spectrum of sort of like skills and capabilities when it comes to operating kubernetes applications and so for us we want our customer who can be, you know, a you know, somewhat of a Kubernetes expert. They don't have to be fooled, but they can be somewhat of a Kubernetes expert. They have to come with a Kubernetes-based application to be able to deliver their application to you know, hundreds of customers that fall anywhere on that spectrum. So, you know, we provide curl, which is our our you know, Kubernetes distro creator, which is the one you're talking about that has all these different integrations with Minio, with Rook, with uh you know Open EBS, et cetera. And that allows you to basically create a kubernetes distro that's fully kind of like you know you're managing all the add-ons in a declarative fashion and then you're installing that into customer environments who just they don't know much about kubernetes and so it's a quick like one-line install sets up a basic kubernetes that you know your app is going to work well with they can add additional nodes if they want to but they don't have to know that much about kubernetes to operate your application and the underlying kubernetes infrastructure below it and it's sort of like a black box at that point or you know you know the other part of this this tooling is uh, a bunch of kubectl plugins that actually allow your application to be installed by the most advanced kubernetes expert right and so they can actually do it all from the cli and use our automated GitOps workflows in order to make sure that every time that there's an update that we're like automatically rewriting the manifests we use customize which is what we're talking about with unforking and sort of avoiding the forks but like apply customizations to do to do overlays and then automatically commit that all into their internal version control systems and so we think about building solutions that are like almost you can click You know, to deploy, but you can also like fully automate the operations of these applications and sort of like anything in between, right? So it's like easy for the customer, but it also has all the advanced bells and whistles for the really advanced end user and being able to work across that spectrum with a, th- a single code base, a single sort of operational model, those same manifests that even if you want to deploy it as a SaaS product, you can do that. Like That's the real value that Replicated brings. Like, we just see every, so- every software vendor, traditional ISVs, SaaS companies, open core companies, all moving to Kubernetes. And as they do that, they're all looking for ways to
1: distribute that application into more and more customer environments. So VMware probably wants you to do that with VMware Tanzu Services. They've had a quite big release at this year's VMworld uh, where they open-sourced uh, Tanzu Services uh, as Tanzu Services Community Edition, which uh, you know, was, was the biggest announcement, really. Everybody was very excited about it. And in principle, it is relatively similar to... What Replicated is offering, uh, it is uh, basically a, a full application stack where you get services uh, in the form of yeah Kubernetes services delivered that do things like CI, CD and integration with GitOps and snapshotting. Of course, Bolero is part of that uh, stack as well. How 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 do you guys differentiate now that uh, this Tanzu Community Edition, Tanzu Services Community Edition, is out? Uh, is it doing what you're doing? Um, are you are you still differentiated? What's your take on this? No, we we uh, we we really love seeing this because what we
0: really want is for Kubernetes to be truly ubiquitous across the entire enterprise, and so a product like you know the Tanzu Community Edition or Rancher. Or OpenShift, um, you know, even the EKS, you know, anywhere just standard EKS, Anthos, etc. We see these as great foundations from which Kubernetes, you know, commercial Kubernetes applications can be delivered. And so our tooling is actually enhanced; it's 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 benefited from you know all of these different distributions being widely available. So you know, the way that I think we're really different is that you know any of these platforms that we mentioned. They're very much focused on providing a developer experience and operational management experience for that first-party application SDLC, right? So build, write code, manage it, deploy it to servers that you control. Now it could be across multiple clouds, but it's always underneath the logical access of like you know these are my servers. It's it's never like hey I'm delivering this to a, you know 500 different customer environments. And so, where where we really see this is, you know, from a software vendor perspective, right? If you're someone like UiPath or or HashiCorp or, uh, you know, you kind of name it in terms of our customer base, right? Puppet or um, Sneak, uh, Silence, etc. What they're what they're seeing is now more and more customers come with a with Kubernetes knowledge, and interestingly, when they do, they have a much easier time operating these applications. But they still need replicated for. Uh, to make it supportable, to make it manageable, to you know do licensing and entitlements and all, and all the releasing and everything else that we do. That value is still there. It's just that we don't have to provide the underlying Kubernetes distro you know, into a VM. We are very happy to live in a world where we don't actually install any of the Kubernetes. And so you know we, we're partnering with some of these vendors to say, hey, now you're, you know you can install you know a, a standard distro, Into any of these environments, and Replicated's tooling is going to act on top of it. Where we get a little bit competitive with any of them is when they start to think about marketplaces, right? So, really, Replicated is sort of, you know, if we have an alternative or a competitor, it's platform marketplaces. So, you know, Red Hat has an operator marketplace, Google has a Kubernetes app marketplace, but those marketplaces are very much platform focused and platform specific. And so we believe that they, they do a disservice to software vendors and the end customer by disintermediating them from their direct customer. And so what we've built, right, if you think about like these marketplaces from the e-commerce perspective, they're all like Amazon, right? And what we did is we said, we're going to be Shopify and we're going to give uh, every software vendor, the tooling that they need to build the best direct enterprise experience, so they don't need to go through the marketplaces. They can sell directly because that's how they sell anyway, right? These are like these aren't you know dollar ninety nine you know apps or you know uh, or little trinkets you're buying from Amazon. These are multi million dollar software deals where you have a relationship with the company and you know the roadmap and you're working together to, to like with professional services to successfully implement digital transformation inside of your organization. And so that, in our opinion, should take place in a direct relationship. And using the tooling that Replicated provides, you can actually far exceed the experience that your customer would get consuming your application from a software marketplace.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this multi-prem concept, again, where you have that capability to mass-customize. That was was another term, mass-customization. We don't really use that anymore very much, but that ability to give a version to each individual a customer that works in their environment and to then still be able to do day two management of these environments and uh, provide them with the support they need to be happy with your product and see the adoption of, of new features of new versions of your product. And uh, basically, also see, you know, oh, this was worth it, dear product manager, that we spent all this money. Or, you know, dear product manager, that was a big waste. Nobody is upgrading. Your new features don't seem to be so so hot. Or maybe we have an issue with our upgrading uh, of, of other parts of the application. So uh, that's that's a that's a very interesting thing. It goes back to this whole uh, policy-driven uh, dynamic workload. Uh, application placement and management, right, where uh, depending on what, what you see, depending on the business requirements, on the licensing and all of this these parameters that you have in a specific situation, you can be dynamic in your deployment and in your um, operations of the application. And uh, I'm wondering, Grant, uh, how do you see operators, Kubernetes operators? You were mentioning uh, those before real briefly uh, that help... Uh, uh, with Prometheus and with with other uh, Kubernetes services to do a uh, day two operations and and upgrade and lifecycle management in general, do you use those? Do you have an alternative to those? What's what's your position there? Yeah,
0: no, we we actually really love I and mean, we love Helm. We love operators. We're you know we have deep integrations with both of these uh, sort of ways to deliver applications. So customers can come to us with Helm charts, can come to us with operators, and and we can basically still wrap all of our tooling around and sort of embed you know some of our our functionality in there ultimately you know the the operator model is is beautiful right like it's reducing the actual uh you know like operational overhead of for a lot of these applications and using sort of these manifests and the Kubernetes primitives to make that happen we think it's a really really important part of the future but the reality is like you, you're never going to be able to deliver a version of the application that needs like uh, no human input, right? There, there there's even things that oftentimes it's just trade-offs, like a business decision, like it's a business level choice. Do I want it to do this or this? And so you need to configure, right? And then you need to to have processes to integrate that into your existing solutions, right? So like replicated. You know, tooling with GitOps automation. You know, going down multiple levels into embedded cluster, embedded operators, embedded charts to find all the images, push those into your internal registries. What we're doing is is still like we're simplifying what it takes to run those and to keep them updated and to uh, support them and to integrate them with your systems. And so, for us, it's like if you want to deliver Kubernetes manifests, great Helm charts, great operators, great like our tooling adds a lot of value no matter what you're doing. And we've seen that right as customers work with us to deliver all of those different types of, of applications, you know I think we will uh, we'll see more and more services that you know include operators and include different components. but there's always it's always going to be like this sort of whole package and, and it's never going to be as clean as like just a single operator, just a single manifest. It's like you need to be able to manage it all. And that's where replicated tooling is just super helpful because you're also doing this across hundreds of different customers. And so how do you know which customers are running what version? How do you make sure they're supported? So this is where our tooling really becomes valuable as you truly operationalize the the management and distribution of hundreds of different private instances in all these different complex enterprise environments.
1: Yeah, so as you said, you when you have a big enterprise application, you need not just one operator, you need a whole uh, a whole football team full of those, right? or at least a yeah. uh, soccer team full of those. and um, uh, how do you how do you orchestrate all of them uh, without because because they're also changing all the time, right? They're all open source and they're all changing. How do you make sure to stay on top of all of that change? Yeah, I mean, so from one perspective, our
0: vendors are sort of in control of their distribution, right? So you know they are, pulling in different operators, you know, using our pre-flight checks to validate that the environment they're going to install into is compatible. They're using you know, our, our troubleshoot framework to collect all the information if there is a problem and you know, run it through custom analyzers in the customer environment. And so they're, they're using you know, all of our tooling to sort of control how this is rolled out. But it really it's up to them. Like, you know, if they want to ship an older version, they can. If they want to use the you know the more recent version, they can. And and their customers can kind of like we really think about choice and control as a key thing that replicated's enabling, right? This is not just a super, super like there's only one way to do it. No, it's like, look, there's the, the reality of enterprise distribution is there's a lot of a lot of variance and a lot, a lot of sort of complexity and sort of tool. It's like you can't avoid it. You just need tools to manage it.
1: Yeah, and those pre check, uh, those pre-flight checks. So those are for uh, the customer to uh, set certain parameters for uh, the application deployment and management, and to basically then red flag uh, environments of their customers where they say, "No, sorry, you are not running a supported X, Y, Z package. So uh, you know you need to do that." Otherwise, we, our software won't work so that you have at least some level of control, but the customer is flexible in that. When they then see, oh, wow, that red flag appears a lot, they can do something about it. And once they have it working, they remove that flag for everybody. Is is, is that the principle behind how this works?
0: Yeah, ultimately, you know, whenever you're delivering software into a bunch of different environments, you're going to have some amount of prerequisites or requirements for you know, the environment that you're installing into. And you can discover those in one of two ways. You can discover those when nothing's working and the team that's trying to install it, you know, at 2 a.m. is calling you, or you can figure it out before they ever make the installation, right? You can have them run a check and validate that everything works the way that it's supposed to do. And, you know, clearly, like, visibility and knowledge into what is actually going to happen is a much better way to do this it's it saves customers from you know banging their head against the wall it saves your support team from trying to to troubleshoot you know issues and sometimes it's just dumb stuff like honestly half the time it's like oh you don't have you know your temp folder is not big enough you didn't have enough disk space on the on the host you provisioned or you know you didn't allocate enough resources or there's some you know uh there's some controller that you can't use, or it's you know it's just it's always like most of the time it's not even like that complex of a thing. It's just like hey, this is how it needs to work before you do this, and they're like oh yeah, like that was a typo. We should have done that differently, or they go, oh yeah, my mistake, right? You know, oh or like oh we were trying to run this on a Raspberry Pi. It's like well no, you can't. This is like an enterprise application. You got to run it on you know full servers, and so th- these are the kinds of things that like when you discover it, it just makes it so much easier to actually support. You know, and we've been doing this for seven years. We've just discovered, you know, we, we we know all the all the things that happen. And so we built, you know, sort of uh, some common pre-flight checks that you can just use automatically that are sort of there by default. We really love it when our customers, you know, take those and run with it and make more advanced ones. But the key thing is surfacing this information to the customer at the time, but like before they're actually trying to install, right? So it happens before actual installation. And by doing that. You allow the customer to self-remediate, right? So, like most of the time, if you catch one of these stupid things, they just fix it without even contacting you. So you don't even really know that there was an issue, and and that's that's the beauty of 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 where the world is going with this, right? It's it should just get easier. It should be almost as easy as signing up for a SaaS application, is installing you know a multi-prem app in your own environment. Yeah,
1: it's almost like uh, you're auditing the customer's Kubernetes cluster and policies a little bit uh when you catch something uh, because a lot of customers they they like to like bend kubernetes to their <laughs> requirements and do crazy stuff like uh like override the scheduler how the scheduler evaluates uh if a a pod runs out of resources, you know, how they, uh, you know, they basically tell the scheduler all kinds of additional things it needs to check or not check. And at the end of the day, that can cause terrible things down the line and you can, uh, you can basically simply check if the customer has tampered with with a certain yeah, area of and, Kubernetes. And, and, that- and look,
0: maybe they'll maybe the customer will continue to do that for you know fifty of their internal applications, but they'll create a, a, a secondary cluster where they run third party apps, and it has you know five hundred different third party apps running in a much more standard way like the the goal here is like just to simplify give customers control of the data right they should stop sending data out to thousands of different vendors start bringing those applications to where their software and data already are all sort of situated and and that's better for their security footprint better for their data surface area you know it's and it's just very different than it was when people were delivering binaries and you were expected to like you know set up tomcat and the jvm and jdbc connectors and manage all the databases and these things no one knew where it was running it was like and then was, that was a nightmare and so we're in a different spot now and this just feels like the sort of evolution of enterprise software
1: yeah and you're going uh, into that area of multi cloud as well right where we, have, we translate multi-prem to multi-cloud by allowing customers to deploy these applications uh, on AWS or on Azure or on vSphere, wherever they want. And those differences in the environment, and that I know is what, what Terraform uh, was struggling with and is struggling with, or better Terraform customers, right, where they have to change a ton of their code. When they, when they do that uh, and turn off the parameters and have to understand all the different clouds in some way, at least uh, you, can, uh, you can still ha- have your customers make one single package that works on all of those different clouds consistently, right? You, t- you take that complexity out a little bit, which uh, is also really interesting when we look at cloud uh, engineers, right? They they are usually specific to uh, one cloud. So a a Google cloud engineer uh, cannot just take over an an AWS cloud, but you you give uh, those vendors that flexibility to uh, deploy their software to different clouds for their customers or for their business units or for themselves, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it still will require a, uh, a corporate IT admin who's familiar with that cloud to like you know set up the basic resources. But then once that's set up, if it's if it's either a VM or an you know EK or Kubernetes cluster, you know EKS, GKE, whatever else, then we can install into that and, and make it make sure it's consistent. So you know, for us, it's like um, we don't try to be you know everything to everyone. We just try to make sure that like we're solving this complex problem really well for our customers and for the end customer because we we just believe it's it's part of how you know software should evolve and this is this is the this is clearly like the world is not 100% SaaS and clearly the world of like traditional on-prem software where you're racking and stacking data centers is like is the worst solution and so you know we're, you know deploying private instances of applications into your own Amazon VPC is the security of on-prem, right? Because you've eliminated all of these different software vendors from having access and copies of your data. And the simplicity of cloud, because you're still in a cloud environment, you're just in your own VPC. And then because of Kubernetes, we can really automate a lot of this operation of running these applications. So it's not like I need to be an expert in, you know, uh, all the different components of your application, I can sort of have the vendor describe how this, how those components should actually be operated, and allow Kubernetes to automatically operate all those different components for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, software vendors should really like that because they are hemorrhaging a lot of support money and a lot of, you know, it's not just money; it's also reputation when they struggling when they're struggling to support customer environments that are all a little bit different. And with a solution like that, you can very quickly uh, drill down and uh, see what is going on. And you already have control at the deployment stage. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really good for everybody. It's good for the, for the vendors and it is good for their customers at the end uh, where they, uh, they receive the guidance and they receive a product that, uh that that should that should just work and that receives support that is uh, very well informed because uh, the stack is regulated and is under and it's well controlled and it has observability from their software vendor um grant any last words before we have to before we have to close It, it sounds like you are really uh, coming close to that initial vision that we all had for Kubernetes from 2000, when was it? 14, right? Where uh, Kubernetes is basically that one platform that ties together developers and uh, operators and uh, SREs. Of course, we, uh, we, I don't think we said SREs in 2014, but um, you, you have really uh, come a uh, brought us a little bit closer uh, to this, uh, to this place with this multi prem concept of actually delivering uh, more or less traditional enterprise software and cloud-native software alike.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. We have to give you know most of the credit, almost all the credit to the ecosystem and the community. Though, like it's it's this incredible you know Kubernetes ecosystem. We'll, you know we love the KubeCons that are, that are existing, so we'll we'll always be at those. And and it and it's that it's that community. It's those people that have been making these things work for so long. It's every different you know ecosystem partner and contributor and project that's like driving this this sort of vision forward. And and hopefully you know we're, we're just one of the companies that's going to help uh, make it continuously sustainable, find really interesting use cases, and and build something that's that's long term and sustaining.
1: Thank you very much, Grant. Thank you. This was another episode of the EM360 podcast. Thanks to everybody who listened to this conversation. And yeah, if you would like more information, make sure you head over to replicated.com.